Today we continue our summer series where we're looking at biblical stories from our childhoods. And our goals are twofold. To gain a grown-up understanding of these familiar stories, while also reinstilling our childlike wonder for the God these stories reveal and bear witness to. So far, we've explored the story of creation, of Ruth and David, uh, and last week we even reflected on the story of Christmas in July. Today, we turn back in the Bible a bit to the story of Deborah in the book of Judges. She is the only woman to be given the title of judge in the Old Testament. And her story is important enough that the writer of Judges thought it needed to be told twice. Once in chapter 4 in, in narrative form, and again in chapter 5 in poetry or lyrical form that our liturgist Fred so wonderfully brought to life for us. Now, to be fair, I'm guessing most of us have heard of Deborah as a biblical character. But we may not know her story, or perhaps it's at least a little fuzzy in our minds. Even more so, I'm guessing most of us aren't all that familiar with the book of Judges. In my 10 or so years of preaching, I have to admit that this is the first sermon I've ever preached from the book of Judges. But it's an important book with insights into our faith and the story of God and uh, God's covenant with us. And I believe that Deborah's story can help us reflect on these together this morning. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fourth chapter of Judges, beginning with the first verse. After Ehud had died, the Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. So the Lord gave them over to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and he was stationed at Heroseth Hagoim. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was a leader in Israel and judging at that time. She would sit under Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the Ephraim highlands, and the Israelites would come to her to settle disputes. She sent word to Barak, Abinoam son of Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, Israel's God, issued you a command? Go and assemble at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and Zebulun with you. I'll lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to assemble with his chariots and troops against you at the Kishon River, and then I'll help you overpower him. Barak replied to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go, but if not, I won't go. Deborah answered, I'll definitely go with you. However, the path you're taking won't bring honor to you, because the Lord will hand over Sisera to a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kedesh. He summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh and 10,000 men and marched out behind him. Deborah marched out with them too. When it was reported to Sisera that Barak, Abinoam's son, had marched up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned 
all of his 900 iron chariots and all the soldiers who were with him from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get up. This is the, joy, the day that the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men behind him. The Lord threw Sisera and all the armies and chariots into a panic before Barak. Sisera himself got down from his chariot and fled on foot. So on that day, God brought down Canaan's king, Jabin, before the Israelites. And the power of the Israelites grew greater and greater over Canaan's king, Jabin, until they defeated him completely. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You know, so many films and movies that come out today are part of these mega series, whether it's Star Wars or Avengers or Harry Potter or any number of other options out there that have their own universe of reality. Characters and stories that have been, been developed and developed over films and several films. And many of these have delved into the realm of prequels in these series. Jumping back in time to illustrate how these realities began and inform the universe we know we have come to know through these films. Well, the book of Judges functions in just such a way. In essence, it's really a prequel of what will happen next in the saga of Samuel, who is identified as the last judge, and then the period of the kings that will follow, beginning with Saul and David. The glory of David and Solomon's monarchies in Israel will only come after this comparably dismal time of the judges. This period in Israel's history is marked by a pattern, a pattern that repeats itself constantly throughout this book. It becomes obnoxiously predictable, like the 35th mystery novel you've read where you know the basic formula the author will use to create the whodunit plotline. Here's what this predictable pattern looks like in Judges. Israel forgets about God. They do evil things and worship foreign gods, often enough the Canaan god Baal. God allows Israel to fall into the hands of an enemy, Canaan or the Philistines or any number of enemies in the vicinity. Then in captivity, Israel cries out to the Lord for help. God then raises up a judge to deliver Israel from their enemies, and they have a moment of peace until the whole pattern repeats itself all over again. By the time we reach Deborah in chapter 4, believe it or not, this pattern's already happened three times with the judges Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. Why does this happen so many times? Well, the book of Judges is bookended with a similar statement. This was before there was a king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this pattern underscores a period of instability and chaos of, in Israel during this time between when they entered the promised land after Joshua's death and when Samuel first anoints a king in Israel. And to be honest, it's a rough book. Each cycle 
seems to have more chaos and tragedy than the one before going and continuing all the way to the end of the book. In essence, it really underscores the danger of what a society looks like when it falls away from living in relationship with God and with one another as neighbors. When we fail to live as God's people, when we fail to love God and one another, the result is isolation and despair. But really, there's so much more happening in Judges, showing us who God is and how God responds to our cries for help. And to dig into this, we need to look a little closer at Deborah's story. Now, to understand the story of Deborah, I think it's important to first note how important names are in the Old Testament. In particular, how important the meaning of names are in the Old Testament. Names often serve a narrative function, telling us something about a character, sometimes even giving a spoiler alert to what's going to happen to them. For instance, in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain's name means to take or to acquire, whereas Abel means mist or dust. It's not really surprising what's going to happen next in that story, is it? So after reiterating that Israel had sinned, worshipped other gods, fell into the hands of the Canaanites, the narrator introduces us to Deborah whose name means either be or word. The latter of which seems to be the case, or at least the better option, as she's quickly introduced as a prophet and a judge. So her work is speaking God's word. But there's another descriptor given in our text. It says, Deborah is the wife of Lapidoth. Now, personally, I think this is a bad and unfortunate translation. Wife in Hebrew, Isha, is the same word, or is the same as the word for woman. We never hear anything about Lapidoth here or anywhere else in scripture. So rather than identifying Deborah as a wife, it seems more likely that this is a description of who Deborah really is. Lapidoth in the Hebrew means torch or flame. So taken this way, Deborah is described as a woman of torches, or better yet, a fiery woman, who speaks God's word with power, with fire. The last time I was doing youth ministry a number of years ago, the youth in my church talked me into reading the young adult series that was all the rage at the time, the Hunger Games series. This series takes place in a dystopian future North America where a wealthy capital city, Pan Am, is oppressing the outlying districts of the country, economically, socially, physically, and so on. An unlikely hero emerges in the story, quickly. A young girl named Kat Katniss Everdeen from one of the furthest outlying districts in Pan Am. Katniss goes from a poor peasant girl on the outskirts of the country to the revolutionary force that will take down the emperor. Katniss reminds me a lot of Deborah. She too is an unlikely hero who emerges during a dismal and hopeless time to deliver her people from oppression by an evil tyrant. Also, in the story, Katniss is given the nickname Girl on Fire. 
after a pyrotechnically charged wardrobe becomes symbolic of the fire of the revolution she'll, she'll spark in Pan Am. Deborah, the woman of torches, too, lights a fire of change and deliverance among her people over the Canaanites. So continuing in her story, we next meet Barak, the military leader, whose name, by the way, means lightning. This lightning, however, can only be unleashed at Deborah's fiery guidance. He won't go with his army to take on the scary Sisera and the Canaanites unless Deborah comes along and tells him what to do. He needs her to succeed, and so she does, but with the prophetic caveat that the path he's taking can't bring honor to you because the Lord will deliver Sisera to a woman. So they march forward victoriously. The narrator is clear to articulate that it is the Lord, not Barak's superior military leadership, that allows Israel to defeat the Canaanites. There's a problem. Sisera, the Canaanite commander, escaped and fled. Now, we skipped over this part in the text, but it's worth telling the story. Sisera flees and seeks refuge with his ally, Heber the Canaanite. Sisera is welcomed in by Heber's wife, Jael, who, after welcoming him into her tent, kills him, rather graphically, too. So Deborah's prophecy comes true. It's not Barak or any other man who takes down the mighty Sisera, but rather a woman, but not Deborah, another woman. King Jobin of Canaan is hardly mentioned in this story, except to say that he's eventually overthrown by Barak and the Israelite army. Funny, in Hebrew, Jobin actually means he will understand. Scholar J. Clinton McCann picks up on the sarcasm in Jobin's name, saying, that's right, yes, eventually Jobin will understand that the God of Israel opposes oppressors. He will understand. Deborah is indeed an amazing and powerful character in the Bible. She lives up to the hype of her name as a woman of torches, lighting the fire under Barak lightning to deliver Israel from Canaan. But in the end, this isn't really a story about Deborah or Barak or Jael, and it's certainly not a story about the Canaanites, Sisera, or Jabin. It's a story about God. At the outset, it's a story about how our failure to live as God's people, to love God and one another, causes destruction. But by the end, it's more a story about how God hears our cries and responds to us and even works through us to bring about God's love and grace. In Deborah's story, as throughout Judges, the pattern goes that Israel messes up, worships other gods, and is conquered by an army. Then Israel cries out to God. God always hears their cries and responds to bring deliverance. But God always responds through a person, a judge. In this case, God responds through Deborah, but also he responds through Barak and eventually Jael to bring about justice and deliverance for God's people. The God revealed in this story and throughout Judges is a God who always hears us when we cry out and is always at work to bring peace and justice and love 
It shows us that there is no place, there's no amount of brokenness or resentment that will cause God to give up on us. There's no amount of evil or sin that will cause God to give up on the church, on our nation, on all of creation. God will always hear our cries, no matter how far we are or how far God feels. And God works diligently to bring about justice, peace, and love that we so crave, that we so need. This image of God, of course, will be seen at its fullest when God's own Son will enter our world as Jesus of Nazareth. Fully human, fully divine, the ultimate judge of heaven and earth who frees us from our brokenness and allows us to participate in God's kingdom. Judges also, friends, shows us that God responds to our cries by working through humans to bring about the justice and love of God. We've seen such people in our history, too. Think about the abolitionists who worked to bring about the end of slavery. Or people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela who fought for equality and civil rights. Friends, this list could go on and on. The point being that God still hears our cries today. There are many wrongs in our world today that God is working through humans to make right. God is still working through us. And God is still calling judges to bring about God's ways of justice and peace and love. Sometimes we see this happen on a large scale as in the people I named earlier, righting the wrongs of the world. But this also happens on an individual and personal level too. I'm willing to guess that most of us can name people who have served in this kind of role in our lives in a time of trouble to bring healing and comfort. And we can also never know when God might be working through us to bring about such a future for a neighbor. The question becomes, who needs a judge today? Who is crying out to God in our midst for help? And most importantly, how is God calling you to respond to the cries of our neighbors? As we ponder and discern these questions, friends, may we remember that there is no amount of separation or distance we can have that will allow God not to hear us when we cry out. There's no amount of separation that will keep God from bringing about God's justice and peace in this world. And friends, may we also be empowered by Deborah, the woman of torches and her boldness in proclaiming God's deliverance from oppression and fear, bringing us to justice and peace. Friends, may it be so for us, and may it be so for all. Amen.